Well, I, am, I, I have to admit, I, I, I've been heavy-hearted, uh, just, I think, just with everything that's gone on in the world, everything that's gone on in our nation, everything that's gone on in our community, with, the, with losing a police officer this last week, and um, just a lot of things. And I, even today's passage, now I see why. And um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Second Peter 2. We're going to cover verses 4 through 11, but I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 11 to give it context. Because as we've been working through this, we've been talking about the basic theme of Second Peter is that how do you battle false prophets? How do you battle false doctrine? How do you battle false teachers? Peter saying not only back then, but today. And the moral compromise that we see, especially in the last days. And um, heard a lot of preachers of late saying, we're in the last days, we're in the last days. And I'm not going to say we're in the last days. I just know we're one day closer than we were yesterday. So I'll just keep it that way. But it just seems like the wheels of the bus are just falling off in so many different things. We talked about the divine and supernatural work of God has taken place in the soul. That as a believer in Christ, God has interceded in us. And he has been faithful. And he gives everything to his faithful servants. We need to live this life. Everything that we need is provided to us. And he's asked us to partner with him in the process. That we get to partner with God in this whole redemption of man. Our salvation is perfect, complete, but needs to be diligently pursued. There's nothing I can do to add to my salvation, but I need to grow in my faith. We talked about just the whole word of God, that it's the only absolute, infallible, inerrant, reliable source of truth is the Bible. And two weeks ago, the realities are promised to us, false teachers, and their ultimate destruction. Now, in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, I'm going to start reading. So just to get this in context, we covered the first three verses two weeks ago, and we'll cover the rest today. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift justice on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day and day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations 
against such beings in the presence of the Lord. Now we talked weeks ago about one of the false teachings that is here is this, this idea of the progressive church movement and progression. The progressive does not mean that they're growing in their faith. It's what they believe is that we need to go to the Bible and kind of take culture and adapt the Bible to our culture. And that's happening in so many churches today. But it's nothing new. I mean, again, there's nothing new under the sun. It just, history tends to repeat itself, especially when it comes to this. There was a guy by the name of Marcion who was, came around about 80 years after Peter wrote this letter. He was a son of a bishop. He knew the scriptures. But he didn't like the Old Testament and the New Testament. He definitely didn't like the Old Testament because the God, Yahweh, was this judgmental, mean person, and the God of the New Testament was different. And so he unhooked the Old Testament. He didn't believe in the Old Testament, which is also going on today. Hey, it's Old Testament. We don't need the Old Testament. Let's just push it off to the side, and we'll just do, use the New Testament. But Marcion, he didn't like what was in the New Testament either. He rejected all the Gospels, but Luke, but rewrote it. He didn't like Paul's writings, rewrote those. And so he had a very limited Bible that fit his idea of who God was. Because he couldn't reconcile this God of the Old Testament of vengeance and righteousness and this God of the New Testament of love and forgiveness. And I would probably bet to say there's some in this room and some watching on the TV. TV. Is that YouTube saying, no, don't go there. <laughs> some watching on the TV who have a problem with the two sides. They, they read in the Old Testament of uh, just God and uh, wrath and ashes and destruction. But then in the New Testament of love and forgiveness and mercy. And the thing is, guys, is both Old Testament and New Testament talk about those. It's people want to say, I, I want this one, not this one. It's a either or, and I'm telling you, it's a both and. I'm telling you, it's both, and we need to look at God as both ways. And both the Old and New Testament put him in both ways. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7 says this. And he passed in front of Moses. This is when Moses wanted to see God, and God passed in front of him. And it says, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, says it twice, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Okay, that sounds like the God of the New Testament. But then yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their fathers of the third and fourth generations. So there's this idea that God is holy, God is righteous, God is going to be judged, but God is loving and forgiving and everything. It's both and, it's not either or. Romans 11, 22 Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. There's a sense. There's the goodness and kindness, but there's the vengeful judging God. And here's, here's the truth. Of whether God appears kind, loving father, or a vengeful, wrathful judge depends on your relationship with him. How he appears to you depends on your relationship with him. 
if you just view God from the outside, look, he's judging this and judging this and judging this, and you've never experienced the love and compassion. That's why some of you had dads that maybe were too harsh, and, and so you never experienced the loving Heavenly Father. I, I mean, a loving Father. I experienced both. I had a, a dad who would love and hug me and kiss me, had no problem taking off his belt and spanking me at the same time. And not that there are times I hate you and all that kind of thing, but to this day, my dad was, he wasn't perfect, but he was a great dad. And depending on my relationship with him is going to depend on how I view him. If I view him from afar, then I'm going to have one opinion, but if I view him up close, it'll be something different. And so the main point of this section we're going to unpack is this. Judgment is sure and severe, but rescue is promised and secure. God's going to judge, guys. He, he's holy. He has to judge. But through this whole thing, he promises to rescue. I mean, from verses 4 to 9, it's the longest run-on sentence in the Scripture. That's why if you look at it, it's comma, 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 comma. It kind of writes like me. I, do I need a period sometime in here? Um, it's just one long run-on sentence. And it's a big if-then. Guys, if God did this, and if God did this, and if God did this, and if God did this, then that means rescue. If God judged the angels, if God judged Noah and the flood, if God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, if he did all these things, but he rescued Noah, and he rescued Lot, he will rescue you. John MacArthur says, there are no creatures too lofty, too numerous, or too base to escape divine judgment. His vengeance will be meted out on all who oppose him. The false teachers of the day were no exception. And I love that. There's no creatures too lofty, the angels, nobody too numerous, the world, no too based, where it's a Sodom and Gomorrah and the sin that God's divine judgment will not reach. And Peter gives us, like a lawyer, three exhibit A, exhibit, a, exhibit B, exhibit C. Exhibit A is this, the angels. Verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned. Now there's a discussion, you know, which angels at what time are they talking about? Is this the angels when they fell? If you read your scripture, and in your notes there's a lot of scriptures to look up. But in the angels, you had, we don't know how many angels there were, but we know that a third of them, along with Satan, decided to rebel against God. Satan wanted to be God. God threw him out of heaven with a third of angels. We have no idea how many angels there were. So is that the angels that he talks about? But because he talks about sending them to hell. But today, Satan and his demons are active around us today. That is, that is the truth. So is he talking about those? Or was there a second falling of the angels? Honestly, it, it's that first group that fell. So you got a third of heaven. Again, we don't know the number but out of those wicked angels, there was this group of wicked, wicked angels. All right, they, they were worse than the wicked. I mean, they were the bad seed. You know, people that, you know, this person's no, it's not so bad, but this person, he bad. I mean, and you know that. And there were that group of angels that Peter says, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. So there's a group of wicked, wicked angels that were so bad, God sent them to hell. Or the word Tartus is used here. And 
You got hell as Hades, you got hell as Gehenna, you got hell as a different word. This is the only time this word is used in the whole New Testament. And basically it means the hell hole of hell is where these angels are sent. Kind of a cross between solitary confinement and death row. And Peter's point is, if he did that to the angels, the most powerful created being in the world, he, he will do that again. He, he will judge. The judgment is sure and severe. Even with the most powerful created beings in the world, he will bring judgment. Exhibit B, verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and, his seven, and seven others. So now he's talking about the flood. We see that in Genesis. And here's the flood where he's judging the world because of its sinfulness. And you can easily, oh, God, how could he wipe out the world? I can't believe in a God that wiped out the world. Guys, for a hundred years Noah built a boat, and for a hundred years he preached about sin, and for a hundred years he said, you can get on the boat. The water's coming. And you're, There's no water coming. You're building a boat nowhere near water. What do you think? You're crazy. You're crazy. hundred years, you're crazy. You're crazy. And then the first raindrop starts. And the only ones who got on the boat were Noah and his family. You say, that's just harsh of God. For a hundred years he warned them. For a hundred years he told them. But mankind chose to do this, and God says, fine. I'm going to judge the world. And I'm going to give rescue if you choose it. Yeah, but if you don't, judgment will come. And it came upon the world. And this is what happens. Because judgment is sure and severe. Rescue is promised and secure. Exhibit C, Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 6. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Again, we think of Sodom and Gomorrah and the evil that was there. But let, we can't forget that when the angels came, three came and talked to Abraham first. And they're telling him that God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And there, Abraham bargains with God. He says, wait, you're going to destroy them all? What if there are 50 godly people there? Are you going to destroy both towns if there are 50? And God says, okay, if we find 50, no. How about 45? If there are 45, and then how about 40? And then 30, and then 20, and then 10. Again, every single time, God says, I won't destroy it. I won't destroy it. I won't destroy it. You find 10, I'm not going to destroy it. But they couldn't find 10. They found Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. That was it. He tried to convince his son-in-laws to come, and they thought he was crazy. It's just Crazy. And so the angels, I mean, who Sodom and Gomorrah was known for its evil. People, well, it's all about homosexuality. That's part of it, but it's all evil. It's all sin of how they treated the poor, how they did this. This was a community that was being judged because of the sinfulness that had just gone rampant to the point where the, when the angels showed up to, to rescue Lot, all of a sudden all the men show up to want to have sex with the angels. And Lot sends out, hey, I'm, how about if I send out my virgin daughters? Take them, not which, that's a whole other story unto itself. 
And even when the angels blind the people, they're still groping around trying to find them to have sex with them. And God rescues Lot, rescues his wife, rescues his daughter out, out of that. And all of a sudden, judgment pours out on the city and turn it to ash. That's why Jude 1.7 says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who are suffering the judgment, punishment of eternal fire. And yet, in the midst of that, just like in the midst of the flood, God rescued Noah. In the midst of all this judgment, God rescued Lot. And it says there in verse 7 and 8, and if you rescued Lot, this is back to if then, if then, if then. And if you rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filth, filthy lives of the lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteousness, righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Lot was deemed righteous by God. But if you look at Lot's life, he... He was a selfish, it was all about him. I mean, again, um, he was offering his virgin daughters to these men outside. What kind of, is that righteous? I don't think so. And even after that, his daughters get him blackout drunk and they have sex to, 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 to have babies because they didn't think they could have any otherwise. And so, going, man, this family is messed up. But God deemed them as righteous because what God calls righteous because it's not based on who they are, it's what God has done. Abraham was considered righteous. It was imputed, God's righteousness was placed upon, imputed upon him. Romans 4, 20 through 24 says, yet he did not waver through unbelief, this is regarding Abraham, the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us, who believe in him who raised Jesus from the, Lord, from, from the dead. Again, God's righteousness, we talked about that weeks ago, has been imputed upon me. His righteousness has been placed to my account. Not my righteousness, not my good deeds. What Jesus did on the cross is imputed to me. And when God sees me, he sees that. When God sees, sees Lot, he sees the righteousness, the belief, the faith. He sees Abraham, the belief, the faith. It's been placed upon that. And when it says that he was righteous because he was tormented in his soul. And I, I, I mean, this, this week I just, I've seen everything that's taken place and I, I think I, I'm identifying with Lot. Maybe that's what it is. R.C. Sproul, who says this, when our culture becomes seared, when we become accustomed to the evil that we live in in the midst a culture of evil, we, like the pagans, think that God is dead and we have no fear of him. There's no fear of God in our country. Romans 1, which I've been reading every day for the last month, there's, there's a section of scripture there where he says three different times, God gave them over. They wanted to worship 
animals and created things and things made with hands over God. And so God gave them over to them. In verse 26 it says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones in the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust of one another. Men committed indecent acts with men and received themselves the due penalty for their perversion. If that's not a something torn out of our headlines today. That God gave them over to. Huh? Let's see how this works for you. You may have done that as a parent with your kid. I want this, I want, all right. Go for it. Let's see how this works for you. I mean, and that's, God has said, I'm just turning you over. You don't want me here? You don't want me to be a part of it? Fine. But then in verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. Now, this list is scary right out of the headlines. To do what not ought to be done, they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They're disobeying their parents. I always like that that that's thrown in there, all right? Disobeying their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Basically, he said, they're crazy. And it makes no sense. And I don't, I, I'm reading the headlines, I go, this makes no sense. How, how can anyone in their right mind? No, they're not in their right mind because God gave them over to this. God says, come on, you want crazy? You got it. And here's the deal. If this is God's judgment, there's nothing the church is going to do to stop it. We're not going to stop this culture. You can, we can talk against it, we can speak. But if this is God's judgment, there's not a thing you're going to do to stop this other than be the church, love people, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, warn them. But God is just saying, if, if, if it's a, fine, you want crazy? Here you go. It's all yours. I think that's where we're at today, personally. I keep reading, I keep writing, I just go, God. I know it's been crazy at other times. It, it just seems like it don't matter where we're turning. It just, it just doesn't make sense. People just don't make sense. They're just crazy. That's right, because I turned them over to that. I turned them over to this long list of they're just going to do their own thing. They don't want me? Let's see how, they, let's see how that goes. Judgment is sure and severe, but rescue is promised. That's why verse 9 says, if this is so, then. If he judged the angels, if he judged the world, if, if he judged the Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin, and if he rescued Lot, if he rescued Noah, if that is true, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. All at the same time. He knows how to protect. And this, this trials is, is not like temptation. This trials is when your integrity is on the line, when your faith is on the line. He knows how to hold you. He knows how to strengthen you during those times. 
and at the same time, bring judgment on those who are deserving. Those who are saying, I don't want it. Again, this is, this is people who are just, re, just refusing to understand God, to, 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 to embrace what he has freely given. You read the first part of Romans. Man is without excuse. I have made myself evident through everything. You can't look at nature. You can't look at the universe. You can't look at a person without knowing there has to be a designer behind all of this. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the answer is no one. Because he knows how to rescue you. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And do not be last two verses, verse 10 and 11 says this. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even the angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. He's speaking again of the false teachers that they doubt the authority. They're indulgent in what just what they want. And they doubt the authority, which is the, basically they superficial identify with, superficially identified with Jesus, but refuse to live by his command. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. He's not going to do a dang thing to follow him, though, which I see every day. I mean, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. If I had your sins up on the screen this week, I wouldn't let you in the building. If you saw mine, you wouldn't be sitting here either. So we're not perfect, but we're saved by the grace of God. My sins are forgiven, not because of anything I've done, because of what he has done, and I've chosen to embrace that. So here's a question. Is God a frightening judge or a good and gracious father? Is God the source of wrath and destruction or the source of eternal blessings? And the answer depends on who God is to you and who you are to him. God's compassion will result in the rescue of all believers. God's judgment will result in the punishment of all unbelievers. And so how am I to respond because if God did this, and if God did this, if God did this, he's going to do it again. He's going to continue to do it. We read that in Revelation, so what's coming? And if this is God's judgment, guys, there's nothing I can do to stop it. I can't get out in front of culture, stop this. The church, what we are called to do is the mission, to disciple those, to grow, the, grow them up in the faith, to baptize. We'll be doing that at the second service. We are called to love. We are called to be that, that person, giving a cup of cold water, helping along the way. We are not called to stop culture because culture is going to do its thing. It's going to continue. I will speak the truth. I will stand up for what the Lord says, and I'll speak loudly. And God promises to rescue me from the judgment that he is going to spell out on this world eventually. And the craziness that just every day in the news, it just cracked. 
I mean, I get like this when I see some of the things that around this world and the statements made by our leaders, um, it makes it literally, I feel like Lot. I'm exhausted from it. I'm tortured by it because I go, if you only submitted to the Lord, but you were embraced in doing what you want, when you want, that sinfulness, that sinful pride, Satan is truly doing his thing. But here's the deal. I know who wins in the end. And I know where the rescue is going to come from. So how do I respond to that? If I'm a Christian, then I respond this way, with praise and prayer. Praise God that I'm going to be rescued. Praise God of what he's done with my life. Praise God that I'm going to see a better days. And praying for my friends and my family that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And now I get to partner with God in this plan to do that. But if I'm not a believer, then I better pray and praise <laughs> I better pray first and just say, God, I got to get my life right. And then praise God for, for the gift that he has given me. Because, guys, I'm telling you, if you're not a believer in Christ, I'm not the judge and jury of that. Only God can make that decision. But if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, repentant of your sins and say, God, I can't do this anyway. I've been doing it my own way. I'm going to trust you today. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to be in that if. If he, if he judged the angels, if he judged the, Noah, the world during Noah's time, if he judged Sodom and more, the judgment's going to come because God is holy. He has to judge sin. But with forgiveness, my sins have been forgiven. And blessings come from that. Not because of who I am, but because of who I trusted in the first place. So I want to pray for us as believers first. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, there's going to be a prayer on the screen. Again, the prayer is usually different. This one's different. It's not the prayer. So it's not the words saying them in a certain order. It's the attitude of the heart that you're choosing to say today's the day. So, Father, let me pray first for those believers here. Father, may we be encouraged. That you got this. You, 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 you who are, is going to judge, no doubt, you're going to take care of that, but you're going to rescue. You're going to bring rescue, and that rescue may be just to heaven. It doesn't mean we're not going to have suffering. It doesn't mean we're going to have strife and hardship. You never promised protection from all that. But you've promised to help us in our integrity to whole, uphold that and to our faith and to be encouraged whom shall I fear? There's nothing in this world that can, can take you away from me or me away from you. So, Father, I pray that we would praise you for that and we would pray for our families. But, Father, for those who might be here today or listening online who do not have a relationship with you, maybe a light went on, maybe some buzzer or something that they've been putting off, Today, they need to make that commitment. If that's you, I, this prayer is going to be on the screen. And again, you just pray that. Everyone's going to pray it together so you won't be by yourself. But if this is a desire of your heart, then this is just a simple prayer to begin that relationship. So let's say this together. Father, 
You are the God of love, forgiveness, and grace, and I deserve none of that. For I am a sinner who deserves to be judged. Today I repent of my sin. I turn to you as the only source of my salvation. I receive as a gift Jesus' sacrifice for my sins, and today I pledge to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Father, if anyone pray that for the first time, may you fill them with your spirit. Father, may you help them grow in their faith, and may we help them in that process to grow in their faith. Father, we love you. We thank you that you give us another day here on earth. Help us to take advantage of that. And just, Father, we pray that we will be ever-present praying, praying that we will be the church. We will extend love. We will extend the gospel. We will, we will do what you have called us to do in a crazy, messed-up, cuckoo world. Father, we trust you know how to rescue the righteous. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.